So one of the reoccurring themes on PLP Talks is the role of the modern bike shop and how a bike shop today to succeed can no longer be just a purveyor of goods and services. They've got to do more. They've got to be a community player, an advocate. In this episode of PLP Talks, we're going to talk with someone that knows this intimately, Toby DePaw. At his time at the helm of a small bike shop in DeKalb, Illinois, he was able to create a community around the bike shop, branch out into advocacy and events. At one point, this shop in DeKalb, Illinois, was selling more Surleys than the entire country of Germany. So this episode of PLP Talks is full of interesting conversation around the role of the modern bike shop. So this episode of PLP Talks, like all the other episodes, is supported by listeners and viewers just like you guys. So if you like this content, if you find it interesting, or if it's shaped how you think about things in some way, consider being a financial supporter and all that information is in the description below in the YouTube video or in the show notes if you're listening to this in podcast form. This episode is also supported by the Ramble Ride. Check them out at ramblerides.com. Imagine all the things you love about bikepacking, the challenge of carrying your gear, the amazing remote and scenic routes, and the camaraderie amongst friends at the end of the day. Without the things you dislike about bikepacking, the planning, the logistics, the carrying your food and having to cook, and you have the Ramble Ride. The Ramble Ride is a unique semi-supported bikepacking experience. We got a chance to ride the Oregon one last year and it was truly a stunning event. It took us on roads and places that we never knew existed. So if you're looking for a different kind of cycling event that is part challenge and all fun, then definitely check out the Ramble Ride at ramblerides.com. So with all that said, put on your earbuds, pretend like you're working at your desk. It's okay, we won't tell and enjoy the show. Today's guest is uh, super special, someone that we've uh, known about and had the pleasure of meeting in person a couple of times. Uh, he's an industry veteran, a gravel provocateur. Uh, so welcome to the show, Toby DePaz. Thanks for being on the show, Toby. Thanks, Russ. It's an honor. This is great. So recently, there is a Frostbite Happen, which is kind of a dealer event that QBP puts on during the winter. It's where uh, they showcase new bikes, but there's also uh, training and teaching opportunities for, for dealers. And it sounded like you and Bobby Wintle uh, put on an interesting presentation. Can you tell us a little bit, a little bit about that? Absolutely. Yeah. So we, uh, we were invited last summer to um, do this Frostbike presentation that uh, the official title is called How the, the Middle of Nowhere Can Be the Center of Everything. Um, which is just based on the fact that the places where we were doing our business, where I was in DeKalb, Illinois, and where Bobby is in Stillwater, are not are not cycling meccas. You know, they're kind of in the middle of nowhere. Um, but despite that, we were able to grow interesting businesses and draw the people to those places to ride and and ultimately buy some bikes. And uh, so we took that kind of that concept and, and and had a little fun with it we ended up calling it bob and Tobe's uh, excellent adventure and had a bill and ted theme the whole time um and so we we just we really enjoyed sharing stories about kind of the stuff that we did to um draw people to our places to do interesting things with our business carry unique products and kind of the ethos that that made us people-centric businesses uh, as opposed to product-centric businesses. Um, and it was a lot of fun. It, we, we had about 100 dealers in attendance. Uh, we had some great conversations around the topic, uh, around the seminar. Um, and I think um, some of the takeaways were just 
you know, trying to remind bike dealers to be nice <laughs> and to take care of people and, uh, you know, really novel concepts like that. And then uh, a big a big part of it was encouraging retailers to work together. Um, we are not the competition. You know, we we should be working together. We have a lot more to learn from each other. Uh than we think. And so we encourage dealers to kind of roundtable amongst themselves and brainstorm good ideas, share what's working for them, what's their what's their biggest challenge at the moment. Mm-hmm. And I think that was really productive. Uh, dealers left um, with new friends, new contacts, and ultimately a lot of the, the, the lasting relationships I have in the bike industry are from conversations like that at seminars like that. So it was a real pleasure for me to kind of to foster that, to host that kind of experience. Mm-hmm. So for those that aren't familiar with the bike shop you were a part of in the past, uh, North Central Cycle Week, kind of paint the picture of how many people were there and what it was like and kind of the things that you implemented to to help it grow as, a, a, I guess, like a cycling hotspot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it blows my mind that you just called the Cal Illinois a cycling hotspot. You know, that's that's pretty amazing. If you've ever been there, it's it's really a uh, you know a blip on the map. It's cornfield country. It's a lot of big open squares, very little elevation change. Um, and when I moved there, I was hired pretty much off the street to to run the bike shop. I had no bike shop experience. I had um, uh, met the owner uh, who was who was buying the bike shop and. The previous owners to that bike shop had done some some injustice to the community, and and there was some bad blood there. And so we were kind of just building goodwill again. So starting at I would say less than zero. Um, and when we came in, we had um, we had way too many brands in the store, and we had to go through the work of weeding out what what we wanted to sell and who we did business well uh, with with well. And um, we were told at that point that given the population uh, and kind of the demographic that we could at most um, double the size of the shop. So that seemed like a good goal. And um, we went after that. And within two or three years, we had accomplished that. Um, And around that same time, I had started pursuing the bikes that I liked kind of in the back. You know, I had been ordering uh, the parts that I liked that I couldn't sell to customers because people didn't know about them or um, just wasn't, wasn't, uh, what people were asking for. But I, uh, in college, I fell in love with a surly long haul trucker. That was my dream bike. When I saw that bike, uh, I thought, boy, this is bike. There's no more bike than this bike. This is what I want. <laughs> How could you want more than this? And, uh, so my, that was my first big bike that I, I built up when I started working at the bike shop and it was sitting in the back and, and people started asking about it. And so we, when we hit that kind of ceiling, um, I felt like we were just getting started. Uh, we started carrying more niche products. We were into Surly and um, Salsa as it was kind of going through its changes. And Brooks, we did a lot with Brooks. And, and at that time, Surly didn't have very many complete bikes. In fact, they only had one. And so what we would do is ordering frames and sometimes we'd swap the parts from other bikes. Sometimes we'd build them up from scratch. And we were about 60 miles from Chicago, and we had, uh, you know, 54, 56, 58 long-haul truckers, and people were driving out regularly to test ride those bikes. Uh, and it's novel to think about now. It's very <laughs> funny, uh, given they have so many models, and they're all complete. Um, but at the time, it was a destination product. And so we had people coming uh, from all over the place to test ride these bikes that you literally couldn't test ride. They did not come as complete bikes. And so that was kind of how the ball got started in the niche product. And 
we ended up um, doubling the business again, uh, really with expanding to niche destination products, brands that were hard to find or hard to see, touch, test ride. Um, and, you know, it was, it was, it was scary. It was it, in the moment in, in those days and weeks, it didn't feel like we were making much difference, but looking back, uh, it really did make a difference that we risked, you know, we tried different brands, we tried different products and, uh, and then we built events around those products. And that's, that was another big turning point that, that helped us establish DeKalb as a destination. Mm-hmm. So let's, let's talk a little bit about the events. What was the initial impetus? Was it to build community or just to get, you know, to grow the potential customer base for these, these niche products? There were a couple reasons. Um, one of them, very selfish, was I was super busy and I wanted to do these gravel events, um, but I couldn't afford to get away for days and days to go do them. And, and so I thought, if I host one, I don't have to travel anywhere. And uh, so that was the selfish, very uh, simple, uh, one simple reason. Uh, but the other thing was just, you know, if you build it, they will come. There was this sense that, um, a lot of people, I mean, Almanzo was was paving the way at that time. Uh, Trans Iowa, Almanzo, um, Dirty Kanza, those were the, the stalwarts. And, and um, Chris Gogan uh, really did amazing things on his website, told great stories and inspired people to go start their own events. And, and that was that was really inspiring to me. And so we wanted to do that too. Uh, and we wanted, um, given that, Illinois is not a very challenging place to ride. We wanted it. We wanted to be kind of the baby gravel race. We wanted the the, the starter gravel race. We wanted something that was approachable. Um, if you were just coming into the scene, we wanted something that you could imagine doing. Um, and so our our first gravel event was called the Gravel Metric. It was only 62, 64 miles. Um, pretty informal. Uh, we promoted it through a couple of videos that we made with my good friend Seth, um, and those were highlights. We loved making those videos. Um, and got hundreds and hundreds of people to come to DeKalb, Illinois to ride bikes. Uh, and the thing I'm most proud of, uh, in that whole scenario is we literally had people bring their moms, come ride the gravel race. Like oh, wow. that was fantastic. <laughs> it was, you know, we had training rides leading up to it and it was a family affair and, and that was inspiring. We had people that, uh, hadn't really imagined themselves as endurance athletes, um, come and give it a shot. And that was, that was great. That made me feel good. And so from there we did, um, uh, we had a cross race. We had a uh, cross race for many years. We had um, a fat bike race called Blubber Bike that uh, we put on three years. We canceled it the first two, uh, and then the third year was perfect, so we killed it. it we just couldn't do any better. Uh, and then we had the Night Bison, which is a gravel race starting at sundown. Uh, that was a blast. That was always the most fun event that we had every year. Um, and then the last event we kind of uh, started uh, was um, kind of the brainchild of uh, – Chad Amen, a, a good friend and mechanic of mine at the time, and um, he was riding out west uh, in western Illinois and kind of the Illinois drift lesson found some amazing roads. And so we had a we had an Illinois event with with over 10,000 feet of climbing and just over 100 miles. Uh, and so um, those are all yeah, the, we call those the 10,000. And that that event actually still exists uh, now, kind of under the under the um, control of. Freeport Bicycle Company and Comrade Cycles, um, and so we—I think everybody should come out and do that event. It's fantastic. So it sounds like uh, when you guys were creating those events, um, you also formed kind of a, a nonprofit organization. Can you talk a little bit about 
you know, why form it and what its function was? You bet. Yep. So uh, we can't remember exactly the years. They all kind of run together. But one of the first years of the gravel metric, we had torrential uh, rain, terrible flash flooding, lightning, the whole deal. Um, there's some amazing footage on YouTube of people walking their bikes in what looks like a river, but it's actually a flooded road that flooded in minutes. It was incredible to see. Um, yeah. <laughs> Land run last year. Yeah. We actually had a woman get washed away. Uh, we had a, yeah, it was this tiny little Creek that's normally ankle deep was hip deep and oh, wow. raging. And so this, this woman was kind of crossing with her bike over her head and actually got washed downstream. Somebody had to rescue her with a branch. Anyway, we get to the, I, I'm coming into the finish line and I'm sure the police are going to be waiting for me. And, uh, you know, someone got hit by lightning or something. And I write this kind of this recap about the event and a good friend of mine, Dean Frieders comes up to me and says, you know, you can't, you can't talk like that. You, we, you, you don't have any legal protection you're going to get sued. And so we started working together and, and he and I, and, uh, a few other people founded Axletree. And so Axletree, we called, our tagline was events, advocacy, and awesome. And so it was, it, one part was kind of the legal shield, the liability shield for our events. Um, the other piece was just having a neutral banner um, to go to the community, um, to kind of have um, a different voice uh, for improving bike infrastructure and getting involved in other um, parts of the community. Um, and then just having a neutral flag for riders to ride under. I was never comfortable with people kind of wearing our logo on their jersey, like, oh, I do my business there. That's the team I ride for. That that never really sat well with me. And so having a neutral team or group or um, collection of people was, was a lot more agreeable. So that was Axletree. And, and I really enjoyed that that process. Um, for, for me professionally, it was fun to uh, – uh, work on branding Axletree, creating the different uh, identities around the different events. And um, so it was, it, it was really, I felt really lucky that I had such an amazing staff at the bike shop that I could afford the time to work on Axletree. And then I, I had some amazing friends that contributed a lot of, of uh, time and energy to, to making those events happen. And it could not have happened without all those great people. Right, right. So we're kind of, it's, it sounds as if like the bike industry is in a funny state um, especially lots of bike shops. Um, like how, how essential do you think it is for a bike shop to, to kind of partake in this community building? That's a great question. Um, I think it's essential. Uh, I, I don't think it's a, I don't think it's an option anymore. Um, I mean, shops, we're at such an interesting stage in the evolution. I think we're seeing a lot of, um, uh, growing pains as people are constantly the industry change and 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 if you're not adding value to the products that you sell you're just a commodity shop and and the internet can do that better and faster and cheaper um and so consumers just aren't aren't really going to be they don't want to listen to a story that isn't good um and so unless you're doing good in the community unless you're rallying people together unless you're building relationships with your customers i don't think that um, kind of the, the old model of the bike shop is sustainable. Um, I think it's really crucial that you're creating a, a space for people to gather. Um, this idea of um, 
in the presentation, we talked about this idea of a third space, you know, whether it be a coffee shop or a church or a YMCA or a gym or something like that. People are looking for that third space that's not work and not home to gather to find community. And bike shops have immense potential to be those places. Um, if you ever stop and think about it, you know, there are very few products that rally people together like bikes. They're, they're an incredible vehicle for community. Uh, you just don't, pe you don't see people gathering around at vacuum cleaner stores like that. You know, we just, we, it, bikes have this amazing ability. And I think ultimately that's what's kept me uh, really enamored with the bike industry for so long is that it isn't an incredible vehicle for community. Um, and so I think it's essential. I think people need to be hosting, not necessarily big events, but just opportunities for people to gather. And um, I think that that calls bike shops to have a different type of um, voice, a different type of leadership. Um, I think that kind of work is very, what I call emotionally expensive. Uh, it takes a different type of character to lead a shop like that. And not all shops are gonna be like that. And one of the things we encouraged in the seminar is if you're not that person, get out of the way. <laughs> if you're if you're super passionate about bikes and you love talking about bikes, but you don't like dealing with people and you don't like, you know, leading group rides, that's cool. That's fine. Just get in the back. Get out of the way and hire somebody that's nicer than you to to run the shop. Um, and so I just think that it, it, we're seeing how the market is 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 uh, moving around kind of the old model of the bike shop. And I think we're, we're learning what the, the bike shop of the future will look like. I'm excited for that. It's interesting. It's fascinating to sit back and watch. Um, it's not easy. It's hard um, mm -hmm. for, for bike shops these days. But I think that a lot of people are doing some interesting things and kind of unmooring from the old ideas of this is what a brick and mortar shop looks like. This is what we do. This is what we don't do. This is what we sell. This is what we don't sell. Um, and I, I feel really fortunate to have been on the front lines for the 11 some years that I was because I saw it really transform. When I started, I mean, we had the paper catalogs. It's so funny. This is not that long ago, <laughs> but like in 2004, 2005, like we literally did have the catalog and we had customer catalogs <laughs> because the stuff in the catalogs was not on the internet. Right. And so if people wanted to see and know what, what, what was coming and what was available, they had to come to the shop. And it's just mind blowing to think about. This is not that long ago. Um, and then just in front of my eyes, we saw that change where all of a sudden we weren't the gatekeepers of the information. We weren't the only place to get the stuff. Um, and we had to adapt. We had to give people a better reason to come and do business with us. Um, and I think there are still a lot of shops that are kind of holding on to the old way mm -hmm. um, that are they're kind of projecting some kind of moral right and wrong way to do business. And I think we're all learning and we're realizing that um, you know, a consumer making a wise business choice, a wise financial choice to, mm -hmm. to buy something at a lesser price is not a bad person. We mm -hmm. do it, you know, every day. But if they do that in the store, I mean, they're Satan incarnate. <laughs> look up Amazon in the store. It's just like, oh my gosh, this, this is the worst thing you could possibly do. But in reality, you're just, everybody's trying to save a buck and that's not bad. Um, and so I think it's just, it's calling bike shops to, to rise to the occasion, to add value, to offer more, uh, mm -hmm. and to be flexible. Uh, and, and, and if they're not doing that, I, I, I fear that they're just not going to survive. Yeah. 
Yeah, it seems like, you know, with the internet and price transparency, like the, the value proposition of a bike shop has changed. It's not, you're not, you're no longer a purveyor of goods because, you know, that's, that's the internet. So there has to be like another kind of reason someone wants to, you know, step through the, the doors of your shop and, and return multiple times. <laughs> that's, that's absolutely right. Yeah. And I think you, um, you had an article, um, last year or two years ago about bike shops being outfitters. And I thought that was fantastic um, because really they, they have to be curators of the experience, you know, and I think, um, you know, a lot of the, the stuff that I focus on nowadays is, is curating the experience after the sale, you know, after someone comes in and gets the bike they need and we kind of send them out the door, let's make sure that they have a great experience. Um, and, and that is your job at the bike shop. It, that's not extra. That's not bonus. That's, that's part of the deal. Um, and I think, um, there's just, uh, yeah, I think people are, are finding new ways to add value to, yeah. you know, either have a coffee shop or have, have a couple taps in the store and, and, and it's exciting. I think, I think we have to be doing those things. Yeah. Um, I think from, yeah. from, from my perspective as like consumer, I can only play like armchair, uh, bike shop owner, but I feel like um, you know, there's lots of things like the community building that added value that doesn't necessarily lead to, you know, a direct sale at the register, but has like kind of more, mm. more value and tangible benefits down the road. And I feel like for many shops, if right. it doesn't convert into a sale then and there, then it's like, well, you know, why am I doing this? Right. Yeah. Oh, it didn't work that, you know, that didn't make the sale happen. Yeah, we in the presentation with Bobby, we talked about. I mean, it's it's it's. Uh, we talked about the uh, customer timeline is a lot longer than it used to be. If you're not building those relationships, you're not going to have any chance on that timeline. Whereas if you miss the sale today, you might get one in a in a week or a year. Um, and so, um, it's just important to be fostering those relationships, keeping up those relationships, and not just you know kind of writing them off because you missed one sale. Yeah. Um, so if, if you were like knowing what you know now and you had the, uh, the, the notion to start a bike shop, <laughs> how would it be different from how, you know, you would have started a bike shop, you know, 15 years ago? Like what would yeah. be, what, what would be that core that you would build around? Uh, that's a fun question. <laughs> uh, I do, I do think about this a lot, um, and it's fun because I know I don't have to do it right now. <laughs> so it's a, it's a fun, it's a fun, uh, you know, fantasy project. Um, but I think there's a lot of potential in, in just focusing on creating a space for people to belong. Um, and, and cycling is a piece of that, but it's not the center. Um, I, I, even before I got into bikes, I always thought that I would run some kind of, um, coffee shop or hostel or something like that. And, um, I think the, the, the model, um, that I would pursue would be something like, a almost like, a. uh, ironically, I think it'd be kind of exclusive. It would be a subscription style bike shop where, um, there's a number of services that we would offer. Um, we'd have space that's modular, uh, meaning, you know, there might be uh, a gym space that could also be used for, uh, yoga that could also be used uh, for uh, concerts or mm -hmm. art shows or you know whatever it is and then uh, we would have cycling products but 
I would do the retail aspect a little different. I think that, um, you know, I, I would invite uh, brands to come and be a part of that for a short amount of time, almost like uh, hosting uh, psych, uh, um, pop-ups, you know, where we would invite brands to come in and, and, and build out part of the shop for a part of the year. And then in six, eight months, we'd switch to a different um, pop-up. Uh, mm-hmm. That would give people an opportunity, you know, to come in and see something different. And um, I was very restless at NCC. I was always re-merchandising and reorganizing because I wanted people, I was, I was bored because I was in there all day, every day. Mm-hmm. But I think even my customers, uh, you know, you wanted to surprise them when they came in. But um, if the store always looks the same and you don't need anything, then there's no reason to go back in. That's um, true. That's kind of a new idea, like to kind of kind of treat it almost like a museum space with like kind of a exactly. like a moving yeah. curated, you know, kind of show exactly. or something. Yeah. yeah. And then have, you know, something like coffee or, or beer um, or a cafe or something cuz uh, I mean people don't need bikes every day, uh, but they need coffee every single day, you know. If <laughs> that's the truth. Then, um, <laughs> so, uh, you know, having that kind of like day-to-day business as a foundation, but then having a curated selection of products on top of that. Um, and then just, I, w- I think another piece of that would be um, um, kind of communicate, communication, um, having clinics. I mean, this is, that's very, now it, it's very common in bike shops to have regular clinics and that's fantastic. And, um, uh, and then just have a few adventures. Mm-hmm. per year you know yeah. go out bike fishing bike <laughs> camping and um do some longer rides together so yeah. that's that that's my like dream scenario and 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 it exists only in my dream i'm sure <laughs> there's somebody hearing this that's like yeah imagine how much money you'd waste doing that but i don't have to it's just a dream right <laughs> if only someone created a video game called sim bike shop <laughs> or something <laughs> exactly Exactly. That would be my sim bike shop. Yep. Yep. Have you been to? Uh, I would have Bobby with. Yeah. <laughs> have you been to uh, Metier in uh, Seattle? I have not. That's actually uh, a relationship that I have through Black River. That I, they're on my list, top okay. of the list. And I think a lot of what I just mentioned is is what they're already doing. Um, that space looks amazing. Their brand is amazing. Their storytelling is amazing. Um, and they're, they just look like they're just, they're just, uh, it's pretty, yeah, it's always something. Yeah. I forget. We stumbled in there somehow and I was like, whoa, this is like no other bike shop. I mean, because it, what it feels like, it felt like a all inclusive bike spa. I mean, they had, you know, nice showers, <laughs> there's a training yeah. center, yeah. there's like a dedicated, you know, like place to do workouts. I think they had like a Zwift station. So you could literally yeah. like spend the whole day there, like get your coffee, do a workout, you know, hang out, and you know, it was, yeah, it was like a little like yeah. a little bike retreat in the middle of the city. <laughs> yeah, that's what I've heard. It sounds incredible. And what's brilliant about that is that um, most bike shops cross their fingers and hope they get a customer to come in three, four times a year and spend money, and they're getting customers to come in and spend money three, four times a day. Mm-hmm. That is amazing and i think the the neatest part of their story is that the bike shop came if if, i I think if i'm remembering this correctly the bike shop came last that was the last piece of that puzzle that came together um and i could be wrong there but they had all these other things going on and the bike shop just kind of fit into the whole picture uh and i kind of love that because we usually do it the other way we start with the bike shop and build on right so for let's say for a bike shop that 
you know, is considering you know, becoming more of a third space and, and branching out, like what, like what's like one or two easy things that they could like actuate right away to, to move in that direction? Yeah. Um, in our presentation, Bobby talks about his couch and how the couch in District Bicycles was the first major purchase they made after they got their space because they, they that was their cornerstone. That was the, the gathering spot. Um, and he tells a story about um, a friend of his saying, oh, that'll be gone as soon as as soon as that, you know, floor space is needed for some product. And he said, no way, never. And uh, at NCC, we had a similar experience at our bar. We had uh, in front of our service area, we had, you know, the glass cases, the glass caskets, you know, where you put stuff in and the, the merchandise just dies in there. <laughs> um, and we, and so people would always come in and, and lean their bike on the glass and it'd make all this noise and make people uncomfortable. And so we, we decided to get that out of there and we put in a bar with some bar stools and some nice lights and, and just made it a comfortable place for people to hang out. Um, and that was kind of a turning point because all of a sudden they were welcome. People were welcome to, to come hang out, you know, and it was always amazing when people would bring in a sack lunch and sit down and have lunch at the bike shop because that was their safe place or they would come in on the way home and, um, you know, we'd give them a coffee or a beer or something. And so creating an actual space, um, for people to be where they're not in the way where they feel comfortable, where they feel um, a part of the community uh, is a really simple way to do that. Um, and I know I know that both in Stillwater and in DeKalb, we were lucky because we had space. Uh, space is cheap in, in places like that. Uh, that's not true for everywhere, but I think having, having a space for people to stand where they don't feel like they're in the way uh, or sit or, or, or have a hammock. We had hammocks. Hammocks were nice. Uh, <laughs> a place for people to hang out. Um, and so that's one, that's one easy way. And then, and give, give, uh, actually set a time for people to come and be at the shop with, with little or nothing to accomplish. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, so having a happy hour, having, uh, you know, um, maybe a little casual group ride that, you know, you meet at four, but you ride at five or something like that, you know, and give people the opportunity to come in and start establishing their own relationships kind of under the umbrella of the bike shop. And, and that way you're not always, you don't always have to be the MC um, if you're the manager or the owner. So that's a couple ways. Cool. Yeah. We're, um, yeah. so we live in Missoula and there's, and there's actually a, a fair number of bike shops. Um, none of them are kind of this new wave bike shop, but, uh, my uh, my friend Toffer and I were trying to plant an inception with a with a particular bike shop because they've got the space, they've got the location, but there's no programming, and we're kind of offering to like, okay, you know, give us uh, a little a little free reign this summer just to 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 kind of program the the space like once a month. Um, so oh, that's brilliant. Hopefully we can. And it's funny because we were talk like Toffer and I were talking, and like the first thing that we thought of was like they need a couch. <laughs> oh yeah you know yeah. just like yeah. some some place where you know people can you know can gather and and you know don't feel like pressured that you know they, they can only be there if they're going to buy something but you know kind of just you know right. be in the space so we'll see yeah <laughs> yeah i think that's crucial that's crucial and in the moment and i would encourage you to do that push push hard for that because those that'll go a long way the thing to remember, though, is that day to day, it's not going to feel, or month to month, it's not going to feel like a lot is changing. Um, and I'll tell you that for 10 years, I felt like I was wasting a lot of time and a lot of heart 
um, just constantly trying to figure out new ways to get people to come to the shop and, and participate in what we were doing. And um, it, all those little efforts, I think, really add up, but it takes incredible patience. Right. <laughs> and uh, I didn't always have that patience, but in <laughs> hindsight, I, was, I, I can look back and say, wow, like all those little efforts did add up. Um, and um, we don't all have, you know, the energy of, of Bobby Wintle to just go out and hug every single person in the world every day. Right. Uh, and so it gets tiring. It gets yeah. tiring. Um, and it, I think the idea is just this leads to one of the other major points of, of the conversation we had uh, at Frostbike was the entire bike industry needs to go take a nap. I mean, everybody <laughs> is exhausted. And because of that, they're grumpy and they're, they're, you know, short tempered and they're cynical and, and, and that's a downward spiral. Um, and so when you do those things that are, you know, you add a couch and you host group rides and you, you do the happy hour. And I mean, those things are, they're fun sometimes, but they're work sometimes. Uh, and you just have to kind of have the long game in mind, uh, and get what you need, take a nap, you know, take the day off, go for a ride. Right. have some fun <laughs> and uh of all the things that we uh encouraged people to do at frostbike i think that was the most the most well received <laughs> yeah bike shop siesta <laughs> exactly i always found it strange that bike shops are open um the exact same hours that people are in work <laughs> you know, and so it, it, we should, uh, again, it's easy for me to say because I'm right. not running a bike shop right now. Right. But, but if you, you had know, your sim bike, sim bike shop. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or split shift, you know, where it's like yeah. we don't open till 2, 2 p.m. And uh, we have like day staff, night staff, and stuff like that where, where we're actually making the services available when people need them, not when it's convenient. Right. It, again easy to say yeah <laughs> not easy to do cool well let's talk about what you're doing now uh so you're chief of story at black river so for those that aren't familiar with black river can you tell us a little bit about it you bet you bet so um a couple years ago, or a few years ago i met eric lynn the founder of black river um and he was working on this project that was a kind of a story forward route sharing platform. Um, and as a bike shop, I was always struggling to take, you know, my um, registration website and my routing website and my blog and my Facebook and try to like get all this information into one place. Um, and uh, when I saw what Black River was going to be, I was kind of, it sparked my interest and I was excited to be a part of it because it was going to build tools for bike shops and, and um, tourism boards and cafes to rally people together and ride together and share routes um, kind of in a more natural way. And so um, we call it a story forward route sharing platform because it's, it's uh, we have an emphasis on sharing the, the anecdotes and the pictures and um, kind of like a blogging platform within the route sharing. Um, so you can find routes, but you don't just see the line on the map. You see pictures, you read stories, and these are from other riders or they're curated by bike shops um, or brands. Um, and so uh, I was really, I was really uh, interested in that idea. And so uh, in the summer of 2015 is when I moved up to Madison to join 
with Eric and we launched our beta product about a year and a half ago. And so we've had a beta product live, um, um, learning from that. It's just the two of us. It's totally different than running a bike shop, uh, but it's been a fun adventure. And, uh, and we're really excited. We've, got, we've, we've kind of been head down for the last six months working on a new release for this summer. Uh, and so that'll, that'll be um, kind of exiting the beta phase and into kind of the next, the next level. So we're really excited about that. Um, and yeah, that's, that's Black River. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I definitely think like a tool like that is needed um, for bike shops because even like in my own experience, like we, we have a half a dozen bike shops here in Missoula. And when we first moved here, I went to like each one and uh, asked them, well, where should I ride? And they explained some amazing route. And I'd say, well, is that online? They're like, no. I was like, you guys don't have anything? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm supposed to like draw on a, on a napkin. And again, there's like right. that, that gap from, you know, uh, buying the product and then like having you know set route to to actually use it um because exactly. buying is just like the first yeah. step like i remember talking with um exactly. to to chris from um from topanga and i was like well uh-huh. what's the what's the biggest challenge with with bike packing you guys sell, look like you sell a lot of bike packing stuff he's like well everyone can buy the gear but you know there's like still that unknown like okay i have the gear that's the easy part like what do i do with it after and there's you know right. no one's really filling that gap well so yeah and that's true. That's true across the board in every category, you know, especially um, new riders who are just picking up their first good bike They're They kind of leave the store and it's like we send them out into the wild and hope they didn't they don't, you know, ride the wrong direction on the highway or something. And so um, with Black River, what we've what we've done is tried to make that process really smooth. And so uh, when a bike shop has a library of routes. We make it really simple to export these things called ride cards that can hang on the bike and it could be you know this is a great 20 mile road ride or five mile you know family ride or something and on that card it's a little qr code and you can scan it with our app and immediately navigate using your phone um and for most of the world that's not an issue for bike snobs you know we would never be caught dead with our phone on our handlebars but for people that are just getting into it it's a great solution it just it's right there it's the phone that i have i don't have to buy anything else the the app is free um and so it's really sending the customer out to have a great first experience so that that bike doesn't end up hanging in the garage you know you don't want them to go out and you know have have a terrible first experience on that new bike and get uh, discouraged and so you know, sending customers out with a couple great routes is, is, is not just, you know, again, it's not just extra credit. It's part of the job, you know, cause you want to, you want to curate and steward that experience once they leave the store. Mm-hmm. So hopefully they'll, they'll be excited and come back in. You know, that's the idea. Right. Um, and we also have some pretty neat technology, um, that offers the ability to have route challenges. So we can say, Hey, everybody, this is a 20-mile route for this month. Everybody that does this exact route can come into the store and pick up a water bottle or a coffee or a high-five or something. Mm-hmm. And so um, people can find that challenge. They can join the challenge. They can go ride it. As soon as they ride it, they get a cool little pop-up that says, congratulations, stop in the bike shop, pick up your water bottle. Um, and I like that because it just it kind of mixes it up a little bit. You know, everybody's going to ride – on Saturday, let's let's see if there's any local challenge. Oh, cool! Let's go do this and let's go visit the bike shop for a beer or something. Right. Um, so I like that idea of kind of stirring it up a little bit. Yeah, I think that might be my my most favorite feature about Black River is uh, this challenge because you know, like in 
you know, Strava, you get like a virtual KOM or on Zwift, you get like a virtual thumbs up. It's cool to kind of, you know, do a ride and have like something, you know, appear in reality, <laughs> like just some like little uh, yeah, kind of celebration exactly. of uh, the ride or something that's not just a virtual badge. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Yeah, I, we're excited about it. And again, with the, with the release this summer, you'll see a lot of improvements to that and uh, improvements across the board with user interface and more features. And um, yeah, I, I can't wait. That's going to be a lot of fun. So what's, I guess, what's the main value proposition of Black River as opposed to like Strava or Ride with GPS? Like how do you, how do you, do you guys differentiate? Uh, we hope to be creating a little bit more community uh, in the real world. So connecting riders to retailers and brands through experiences. Um, so retailers can, we all know that retailers have in their heads all the best routes. And, and so this, we want to be the place where you can go and really easily find a route. Uh, you don't have to navigate through a lot of different numbers. It's not about how fast you're going. It's really, like I said, story forward, community forward. Um, and really trying to build kind of a neutral, um, a neutral universe um, that's not competitive, uh, that will bring people together. Um, our, some of the new features will help make it much easier to find group rides in your area, and so you can connect with other riders that are like you without feeling, you know, intimidating. Joining a group ride is 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 this massive first kind of big step for a lot of riders, and if you can actually see. Uh, who else is going to be there? Maybe you know some of them. You can see how fast or how slow they are. You'll have a, it'll be it'll lower that barrier. Um, yeah, so, I mean, I, st I still get that. Like I've been riding for a long, you know, decent amount of time. I still get like group ride anxiety. <laughs> it's yeah, like because you never too. you totally. never know what the dynamics yeah. are. Like, is someone going to drop the hammer and like you know see you at the end or what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I think that we're. Well, I'm I'm advocating strongly to have speaking to those fears. You know, this is the average speed of the group. This is uh, where we go for a beer afterwards, and encouraging people to to kind of tell the whole story. This is how we behave at stop signs. This is what our you know this is what our ethos is. It's a drop or a no drop, and um, trying to just again lower the barrier so people can find their people. They can find their community uh, eat more easily. Mm -hmm. We'll we'll wrap up on this one. Last question: Like, are there any bike trends or trends in the bike industry that you see and are excited about? It's been really fun to get off the front lines and, and kind of fall in love with bikes again. Um, I'm excited that um, kind of all the the unique fun stuff uh, that we used to see at NABS is kind of trickling down to to everyday bikes, um, and I'm excited. Well. I know you're asking for a product. Um, I'm, I, I think I'm, ask, I'm answering with a cultural uh, mm -hmm. trend yeah. that I appreciate, which is um, I think we're – it's exciting to see how the industry is starting to talk to normal people all the time. Um, and the trends are, are appealing to wider audiences. They're making bikes accessible. They're making even, you know um, – gravel and adventure is now you know being sold right alongside hybrid or road or mountain it's it's the niche is kind of expanding to become more available to more people and i think that's 
that's refreshing. That's exciting. It's not just race culture. Um, it's not just about buying the the lightest and the fastest thing. And um, kind of the the heroes and the and the celebrities of the bike culture are changing. And um, that's been that's been fun. But I, I really enjoy seeing brands tell different stories now, uh, speaking to a wider audience, um, and and kind of uh, not just speaking to a very small demographic very small group of people um and and catering to people of you know every different market segment i appreciate that a lot um Mm -hmm. so i i i appreciate the the trend that that storytelling is becoming an integral part of how people talk about bikes uh and it's not just uh what it weighs or what it costs or you know what color it comes in yeah what's been Um, what's been instructive for me is uh you know laura and i recently got into running so aside from like visiting uh-huh. every bike shop we run go uh, pass by, we also go into running stores, and uh, I think running does a really good job at speaking to kind of that beginner, intermediate, um, just fun run. You know, you don't go yeah. into a running store and they're not trying to you know make you run like a you know four hour marathon right off the bat, or you know right. do an ultra trail running event. But a lot of bike shops, I mean that that would be the equivalent. You know, but there they're like, oh, yeah. you know, c- come do the 3K, 5K, go at your own pace, you know, walk half right. of it if you want to. And I feel like there's so much the bike industry uh, in terms of speaking to like the beginner or the amateur can learn from, you know, how other sports approach it. Yeah, I think you're right. And, and that um, kind of to bring it full circle, I think that was one of the uh, the things that made us unique in Illinois at NCC was when I was hired, I didn't know anything. <laughs> and so customers coming in the door knew more than me. And so it just became our culture to say, you know, someone come in with a question and I would come around the counter and say, I don't know the answer to that. Let's figure that out together. I'm as new as you are. Um, and even though I learned things over time and, and became, you know, knowledgeable in the field, it was still part of our ethos to say, Hey, let's, we're all we're all at the same like meeting people where they're at. We're all we're all going to do this together. Let's 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 get you started with this thing. Let's not say, hey, you want to go be this you know super fast racer and um and it, it, you know every time someone came in they'd be like, well, I'm not a I'm not one of those big big cyclers, you know, I'm not one of those big racers or whatever. And that was the standard. Like that's what that's what people thought they had to adhere to or rise to. Um, and real, and in reality, it was just like, no, like let's, let's go for a five mile ride at whatever pace. And that's where we start. That's fun. That's, and I think that's more common now. And the shops that are, that are really seeing success are, are embracing new riders and, and, you know, just lowering the barriers to entry to cycling. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, let's wrap up on that note. Uh, Thanks again, Toby, for joining us. And if you guys have any other questions for Toby, leave those in the comments below. I'll try to get them to answer them. And if uh, you like the video, like, share, subscribe. And thanks again, Toby. My absolute pleasure. Thanks a ton, Ross. Cool. See you later. Thanks again for joining us with this episode of PLP Talks. And if you're listening to this in podcast form, if you could do me a quick favor and just go to your podcast app of choice and leave a rating and a review, it really helps the show out, brings it visibility. I can attract more sponsors and keep this show going. Uh, So once again, thanks for listening with us today. And until next time, keep the supple side down.